everyone, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health. So we, I might actually need the business card. You haven't said it in a while. I was just thinking, I was like, wow, Samuel just throws this out and knows it so well. Honestly, the same thought went through my head as well. And then I was like, wait, what is it? You're like, blah, 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 blah. Hey everyone, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. And today we are off the beaten path. I am so excited um, today. Uh, Shane, thanks so much for joining us today, Shane. It's a pleasure, Samuel, Julie, everyone listening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's been awesome. We've had a couple of conversations over these past couple of weeks about mental health, about, you know, um, community, about um, our experiences in the past. So I'm excited that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Raise of course. Speaking of, of community, you came to our brunch the other week. So that, that was very is nice. true. Oh, mom, you don't know this. So uh, actually, New Year's Day, I went over to Shane's house for dinner and it was awesome. Or lunch? Brunch? Uh, it was brunch, and also it was Rachel's uh, Rachel's house. She lives there. I live somewhere yes, else. Yes, and Rachel is a um, chef, and it was awesome. Ooh. Uh, it was so good, very vegetarian-friendly. It was awesome. And actually, it was one of the cool things that um, we did where, uh, you know, we lifted up the plate, and there was, like, a little prompt for us to get us introduced to the group. Um, and it really does remind me of community. Um, <clears throat> something Shane had said that day was we've all impacted like uh, Shane and Rachel in some way, and it's just kind of created this community in that way. And it's really interesting, even just how community builds in that way. Um, just kind of sometimes found people, sometimes even, uh, mom, I've told you about this in the past, but just stumbling across a listener at work or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And it's cool wow. to see um, that community grow. So thanks for joining us, Shane. Welcome to the community. <laughs> yeah, good to be here. I love it. What a fun um, start to the year. Can I just say? I love it. I love that you were able to do that. And I love that theme of community kind of blending through all of this that we're doing. That's really beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah. And thanks for saying that, Julie. I mean, our our hypothesis is that food can be the ultimate community builder, not because it just like tastes delicious, of course, depending on the chef, but because, <laughs> but because it requires you to interact with someone without using your words. So if the three of us were at a table, if I'm passing you uh, delicious golden baked rolls, we're already creating connection without even using our words. Mm. So that's kind of the beginning of community is, is food. It's the, it's the ultimate that's connector. Neat. I think that there's something too about like, um, eating food evolutionarily you have to lower your guard like it's not something where you're and even your body position like you're seated your arms are open you know you have a plate in front of you so you can't really like close your hands in front of you and be kind of bottled up in that way um i'm with you uh we've talked about multiple times on this podcast especially like last year around the George Floyd protests, you know, how community can bring us together in that way, how, you know, food can break down barriers in that way. Um, we can actually side note on, on our belly brains, like we have neurons in our belly and our ability mm. to take in nutrients is based on the relational safety of being in safe spaces where we can 
have conversation and connect and have people that allows our body to be in a space to bring in the nutrients and also to help our immune system. So there's just a little tidbit on the belly brain, but as you were talking about food, wow. I was thinking that is so cool to think about and what a also nurturing thing. Like we all have the need to eat and to meet that need in especially tasty, wonderful, beautiful ways that can be presented sometimes like that's such a that is such a great bridge to community and and why it's so nice to gather with people around the table i was going to say pretty quickly that we should have food on community roots but then i realized that the recording would just be munching sounds. munching <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also too julie you should consider trademarking belly brain oh ah. good one <laughs> That sounds like a picture book ready to happen. Actually, Karen Young, we should contact her. That seems there like one go. of her books. Because she just did the brain, so now we can get her onto the belly brain. Yeah, and Shane, just to connect this, and then we'll totally start start talking about you. But um, uh, uh, Karen Young wrote that Hey Warrior book that I was telling you about who with the amygdala and how it kind of puts a persona around the amygdala. So, yeah, belly brain, that seems right down the track. Same vein. I dig it. Yeah, a... I, di I dig it too. And, and I really resonate with what Julie's saying of the different types of foods that you put in your body, because food is just like fuel you put in your car, except in, into your body. That's what food is. And there are certain foods you can eat that will actually make you feel more safe, more warm inside. Mm. And what mm -hmm. we believe that can do is create an environment mm -hmm. for more transparency, more honesty, where people who are in conflict or in an argument can actually make peace. So food mm -hmm. is like the spark and then mm -hmm. making peace is like a, just a byproduct of delicious specific food being eaten. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to it than we realize. Yeah. I mean, even the whole where I'm trying to think of which hormone it is that is developed in the stomach. Serotonin. Serotonin mm, is wow. largely made in like the foods that we're eating impacting our stomach, which is where the neurons that exist in our stomach, which is amazing that we don't just have um, brain cells in our skull. They're, all, they're actually also in the stomach. And it is like something 100 to 400 million neurons that are in our gut. Wow. And that's where we develop this serotonin, oxytocin, and that sends the messages to the brain that you're talking about, Shane, with having safety and being able to be vulnerable. And I love how you tie that into like, so when you're working with people with conflict management, so I'm so curious to hear about, yes, tell us me about too. you and I'm just thinking this is a fun intro to the topic, but I would love to hear more. What do you... Who is Shane and and what is this conflict management stuff and your connection with food and all of this? I want to hear it all. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I am a mediator. I'm a negotiator. And who I really am is a peacemaker. Mm. And I've ran ultra marathons. I've traveled to almost 50 countries and have about 10 years of experience negotiating and solving conflicts, both here domestically, but also abroad as well, particularly in Geneva, where a lot of United Nations work and US mission work is being done. So what brings me to Columbus specifically is I was working with an organization on building their team around training and conflict resolution 
in conflict management, but how I got there was because of the work that I did in San Francisco at the National Suicide Hotline, where mm. we often um, de-escalated conflicts or someone in distress or someone feeling suicidal. Most calls were just uh, someone wanting to just have a conversation with someone mm-hmm. at the line. But then there were also some calls that were uh, quite serious where someone was uh, feeling suicidal. And so I was a part of those um, training, teaching, and then also doing that as well. That is amazing, amazing, amazing work. I love it. And I don't know if you know this about Samuel, but what he wanted to be when he was younger. Do you remember? Sam? Oh, yeah. A diplomat. I was, yes, I, was I mean, was I think like, about I want to be a, a foreign diplomat. Yeah. Hey, there's still time. Here you are, Shane. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, life is. What life is, is this? Big. Been to fifty countries and going yeah, I didn't even know that. I knew about maker. the Europe. Yeah. Well, I yeah. never knew this, so this is amazing. Yeah, I think um, you know your your uh, family or your parents, whoever you spend the time with the most when you're growing up, have such a profound impact. I feel like on who you ultimately become or the experiences that are most interesting to you as you grow up. And I grew up around a table hearing. Uh, sharing food along the lines of what we were talking about today, where my mom would share stories about her adventures growing up in Spain um, mm. and growing up over in other countries because her uh, father was um, like a traveling engineer, chemical engineer working mm. in different places. So pretty cool job. But I always like heard those stories. And so when I got older and had the means and worked to save money, I didn't buy anything fancy. I bought like a backpack. <laughs> Um, and, uh, went for an adventure and it changed my world. That's awesome. I, I think, yeah. I think that's great. I love it. So in your family of origin, then when you, you're referring to your mom, were you being raised with the ability to lean into conflict and to explore what different thoughts and feelings were of whomever was in the conversation or how were you? I guess, influenced Correct. in such a way that yeah. you were able to take on the backpack <laughs> and travel across the countries to go to these places. Like what, what empowered you for that? What equipped you for that? What empowered me was the actual people who you meet on your journey or on your travels, because I found that it was really neat going to all these incredible places and all these continents. But at the end of the day, what was always more memorable is the people who you shared a meal with or people who helped you um, or, or friends that you would make. Um, and I like to think too, this is gonna be cheesy, but it works is like the universal language when you're traveling is just smiling. It's amazing uh-huh. what a smile can do because you you're not a threat you're safe. And also, um, naturally humans want to be around people who are happy, um, and want to spend time with them. And so I found like, it's amazing what a smile can do for you when you don't know the language in a new place. Um, so that's what kept me empowered is the people all the time. Mm. Amazing people. I love it. That is awesome. That's inspiring. I mean, yeah, that's what I feel in my day to day too. And that's awesome. I think I think what's interesting is the move from, you know, the international work where you're going 
and meeting somebody where they are, like helping out on a shared cause. And in the same way how that transfers into San Francisco when you're on a suicide hotline where you almost have to do the same thing, but conversationally and even like virtually, right? Um, and over the phone. So how were they the same? How were they different? And like, what did you pick up from that? And how did you like go to work every day? <laughs> that seems like a lot, like so much. Yeah. So I'll answer the first part uh, first. So uh, we are emotional beings. We all have emotions and we all have the desire to want to contribute. We all have the desire to um, to feel loved. And a lot of times what that looks like is really just listening. And there are a lot of different ways you can demonstrate that you're listening to someone in order to make them feel uh, happier and also in order to positively influence them as well in an ethical way. Listening is the first thing. So how you do that is by like eliminating distractions, of course, one, and then two, by like really leaning in and doing something called labeling an emotion. That's all. That's a really powerful thing that mm -hmm. I found overseas that works really well is when someone is expressing or telling you, you know, their story, you could just respond with like, yeah, it seems like that's um, a, a really exciting moment in your life. And they say, yeah, yeah. And then they share more and more and more. And that's mm -hmm. a great way to demonstrate listening. And that was a tactic that was taken um, and is very popular um, in, in lots of arenas. Uh, but that's like something that they taught the hotline that works universal hmm. in um, in the real world. I mean, also too, meeting different diplomats, meeting people who are negotiating in Ukraine and Russia, these people who are negotiating on the front lines who I've met and spoken with are using literally the same principles that people are using at the suicide hotline that we're talking hmm. about. And that's also awesome. too, another thing I learned is they're just normal people. You know, I went over there thinking like, oh, I'm going to meet the James, you know, James Bond. He's going to drop down <laughs> from the helicopter. You know, it's like, no, like the most effective negotiators are the ones who are subtle. And um, I was even at a conference at the table uh, around negotiators who were involved in the Iran nuclear deal, uh, involved mm. in, this, uh, in all kinds of negotiations with Switzerland and all, all different sorts of things. And I had zero clue. I would have never have known because mm. they're so humble. And mm. that's what a, I feel like a true superhero is, is that you don't know they're a superhero. Mm. And those are the types of people who I was able to like interact with and learn from and, and just kind of be a sponge around because they have so much knowledge. So the tactics are very, or the, the, the skills are transferable everywhere in life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, did they all wear thick glasses and would disappear into telephone booths? <laughs> no, no, no telephone booths anymore, but I think we should bring them back. Yeah. So um, we actually kickstarted this show a couple years ago, post pre-COVID. So, you know, basically an eternity ago. And um, we uh, started off with like a field guide you know, you're in crisis, this is what you do to kind of calm down, or this is what support you need in order to do this. And so I'd be curious, like, with you working at the suicide hotline, what were kind of some of those like, hey, this person's in critical condition, these are the things we need to help out with, or these are the focus things that I want this person to focus on so that they're safe? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll, I'll share a story. Um, so I just started at the hotline, 
and just went through the the training program and I got a call from a woman who was feeling suicidal. She was like 12, 13 stories up and her apartment building was like considering jumping out. And so uh, my initial uh, reaction was I froze because, you know, it's not something that you expect, but um, once you breathe and relax and also alert the team, uh, everything, you know, started to unravel in a positive way. So the first thing that you do is you just ensure that you essentially isolate the incident and you keep them safe. So a question we asked was like, you know, are the doors to your balcony closed? And so we just want to keep them safe, at least for Mm. the time that we're talking to them on the call. And um, that way we can have a conversation with them and start to really understand why they're feeling this way. And um, the way you do that is by asking open-ended questions that start with how or what. So we ask for, you know, what happened today specifically that's causing you um, the most anxiety, if, if that's an emotion that she labeled and things like mm. that. So uh, through questions, you're able to um, get a better sense of how you can help them and by labeling emotions too. And so that's what we did. She eventually stepped back and um, it took 20 or minute, 20 minutes or so. Some, some take five minutes, some take five hours, some go on for days. Mm. It just depends. Um, but yeah, mm. that's what we did in that specific situation is just making sure that you can keep them safe for the moment, um, which is key. And then if you can't, um, then that's when you would um, dial emergency services, which happens on a weekly basis. Yeah, I like how even when you described that story, like your first reaction to was just breathe, you know, like even after you're freezing, like you yourself as a supporter, as somebody who is also suddenly like in the moment, just being like, okay, a good deep breath. And I think that's a good thing that can be shared, but also like even you as the supporter were able to focus on like just grounding. A hundred percent. Have either of you heard of box breathing? Yes. Um, I have not. So yeah, lay it on me. (laughs) Julie, do you want to describe? No, go ahead. I'll hear yours. So box breathing is essentially breathing in for four seconds, holding for four seconds. Yep. Releasing for four seconds and then doing it again. Mm -hmm. And this is very, very, very popular. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't invent this, um, but I was at, I was listening to a, a gentleman named Scott Tillema, who's a FBI trained hostage negotiator. And they do this um, in really critical situations. Mm -hmm. You'll have the hostage negotiators box breathing, but you know, most people listening probably aren't hostage negotiators. I'm not, you two aren't. So it's like, this still works, you know, um, for, for, people like us as well. Um, so next time you feel like your heart, like next time maybe you're about to ask, uh, grab a microphone and ask a question in front of a big audience, or next time you're about to make a presentation at work, or next time you're about to have a hard conversation with someone you love and you feel that your chest get heavy, your stomach gets tight, your heart starts to, to beat, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, box breathing is the fastest way I've found to reverse that and put yourself at ease. That's awesome. I've definitely heard like the breathe in hold for the same amount of time. So that's good to put like a real term to it. Mm -hmm. And And for those that can't see what we're doing, because you're only listening to the auditory version of this, you you actually can lift your hand into the air and and draw with your finger, you know, the breathing in Mm -hmm. and the holding and you're making the shape of a square, which is where the box 
breathing concept kind of is. That's awesome. I, I think that's a good tip. I, I think one of the first things, if you're feeling overwhelmed, is finding ways to ground yourself. And so I think, you know, uh, think outside by the box by breathing in the box, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I love it. We need to uh, trademark that too. Yeah, yeah, we got all of these. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about feed your inner plant. Wouldn't that be a good sticker? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's gotten mixed results, I think. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, Shane, bring us to kind of what you do today with, um, you know, finding that middle ground between two conflicts and like what that looks like in your day to day. It seems like you have such a wide variety of clients. Yeah. So um, the mediation table, this is a project that Rachel and I are launching where we use food to help people solve their most difficult conflicts. And so we'll bring them to the table, people who are in distress or quite frankly, just hate each other for probably very fair reasons. And I'll sit down with them and Rachel will prepare a world-class meal that's specifically designed to put them in an environment, in a headspace to where they can actually have a conversation. In some cases for the first time in years. And the transformation, um, that we see from food is like nothing happening in the mediation space. Because if you look at courtrooms or you look at um, mediate where rooms, the rooms that are happening right now where mediations are happening, I've seen them in Europe, I've seen them in the United States. They're literally uh, a room with some ugly wall paint. It's like teal, like kind of a gross teal and two black chairs and a square brown table. That that environment is not conducive to uh, peaceful agreements. And so we're we're disrupting the space by creating an environment where people can actually find peace. You know what that brings up for me um, is something called TBRI is trust based relational intervention and very much based on helping the person feel safe and connected so that they can kind of resolve what is internally a difficult thing. And one of the things that it talks about is making sure that people are fed, that hmm. that if you have the nutrients, your brain has the capacity to be able to be present. And without that, you know, we talk about being hangry or something like people aren't even able to be regulated enough to to think clearly and to have a conversation or to be open. And I know we've certainly used that technique in our mm. parenting of, um, you know, you're not going to start a conversation with somebody who hasn't had a chance to eat. And mm. even, you know, memories of sitting around the table where things kind of shift after some of the meal has been mm digested mm -hmm. you know like that as you're talking you're like oh they're coming back they're they're in a better headspace now you can actually see it kind of happening just mm -hmm. around the dinner table yeah i wish i would have had a camera to see that because <laughs> obviously i was a part of it but just not conscious enough to realize it mm -hmm. and i think that's great so i i mean even the imagery of a circular table we were talking about that on new year's too like the circular table compared to the square table and how much of a different mindset that creates another thing we were talking about was like boundary work and conflict resolution like what does that look like what what came to mind with that uh boundaries so you're just saying like essentially um how to say no yeah 
Yeah. Um, so there's a great book uh, written by William Urey, who's one of the um, most world-renowned mediators, started the Harvard Negotiation Project. And he wrote a book called Getting Past No. Hmm. He wrote lots of books, but there's a really book, good book called Getting Past No. And when he talks about boundaries, one thing that always stuck with me and resonates with me to, the day, to this day is a formula for how to say no. Because you don't want to disappoint, you know, no one wants to disappoint anyone, but at the same time, you have to protect yourself because if you say yes to everything, uh, you'll be burnt out. You'll, your mental health will uh, deteriorate very quickly. So uh, to do that, the formula is um, essentially like, yes, no, yes. So mm -hmm. bear with me for a second. So it, let's say... Um, Let's let's do exercise. So Samuel, can you just like ask me to do an activity with you? Yeah. Do you want to go on a hike? Samuel, thank you so much uh, for asking me to go on a hike. I would love to do a hike. Unfortunately, I have a twisted ankle and mm. I won't be able to hike uh, for the next four weeks. Would you be open to trying it again in maybe a couple months? So the formula is like, yes, like agree with Samuel. And then no state, why not be very direct, be very honest. And then yes, with a question mark, like keep the door open. That's the mm. biggest mistake that people make in conflict that I see time and time again is like someone says something and then they close the door forever. That is mm. not the right way to solve conflict. Mm. Even if someone really does something so deceitful, I see time and time again, the people who rise above and just keep the door open to conversation mm. end up having such a more pleasant experience in the long run. Their mental health is in a better place. They're happier. Mm -hmm. They're able to forgive. I feel like forgiveness is a strength. That's a big part of this too. And so all in all to say that's a formula is a yes, no, yes. And I encourage everyone to try it and see how it works for them. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I And I also, just to kind of put my own experience in it too, like whenever you say yes and do something for someone, then it changes your mindset. And I think even just as the person doing the favor, and I can even see, you know, by you leaving the door open, you're also telling yourself, hey, I'm leaving the door open. And so by practicing that, you have the flexible mindset in a way like if you slam that door, you're kind of even telling yourself, I'm done, you know? And so even that conversation within your own mind, even though it's external, I think is pretty there's interesting. A, there's a sense of like openness and receptivity to it, like a willingness, mm -hmm. a, um, a welcome about it that isn't closed off. And so often, I know I hear in in therapy um, settings all the time of people who just wish that someone would have the conversation or hear them. You were talking, Shane, earlier about the importance of listening and just wanting to be heard. And sometimes the responses that we give or maybe reactions that we give are like shut down, walled off. You know, they don't continue the conversation and the other person doesn't feel heard or they feel too defensive you know, to be able to hear and how important it is to allow conversation to be um, picked up at another time or continued or um, mutually shared. Yeah. Taking a, taking a time out is uh, perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. So um, Shane, we are nearing the end of our time here. I'm curious, like, you know, in your negotiating experience in that conflict resolution 
like what's a story that stuck out to you or what was a time that you were impacted in a big way that it just kind of left an impression? Uh, well, what, what uh, Julie so uh, brilliantly said a moment ago about listening and we're talking about keeping doors open, a story that really impacted me was on my last trip in Geneva towards the very end. I was at a conference where there were humanitarian negotiators meeting to talk about what's happening right now in, in Ukraine. Hmm. And a gentleman uh, who's at the top of the Red Cross uh, essentially came and spoke at the conference. And also a lot of his colleagues who were negotiators, basically neutrals, um, negotiating with Russia and Ukraine hmm. were at the conference too. And I got to have lunch with them and ask questions. And huh. a gentleman shared a story of talking about the door. And um, it was really discouraging because in this conflict right now, what we're happening overseas, what he described is that for the conflict in Russia, Ukraine, what they're seeing right now is a lot of um, the diplomats are closing the door to conversation. And I feel like this is a big mm. mistake because when you close the door to conversation, how can you make progress towards peace? So the first step is keeping the door open. There are some doors open, but even at the highest levels, they're closing the doors, which I just feel is not the right decision to mm. make. Um, but I'm also optimistic equally that there will be times when they do open doors. And also too, like there's a lot of conversations happening that we don't know about. So there probably mm. are doors open, just not ones that are open to, you know, the media being able to write about or for us to see, which is mm. like standard procedures in these types of um, negotiations and, and these types of conflicts. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, that was a, a story from that conference where, they were saying that the door, you know, isn't as open as they'd like it to be, but they're trying, mm. you know, their best to to change that. And how you do that? Maybe it's through food. Mm. Nice, yes. Let's Bring in you a guys full front, circle. Yeah, front and center <laughs> during this. I love. That. I think I, that is big. I I'm still curious. I hate to like reopen here whenever we're trying to wind down, but I'm just still not clear on what got you to this path. Like. It, it, what brought you to that being able to negotiate being able to be a support person for someone on the hotline like what was the foundational or turning point for you was it something that you witnessed in around your own kitchen table growing up or was it something that um taught you somehow i'm just curious what put this all into motion for you <laughs> maybe it was a cascade of of different events that put it mm. into motion I, I, if I had to boil it down to one, it would certainly be that growing up, uh, conflict was something that we and my family didn't necessarily always embrace. And so as an adult, I found myself in the workplace and also just like in my relationships, avoiding conflict myself. And I was mm -hmm. like, wait a second, this is detrimental. I need to learn how to do this. And so once I started learning years and years ago, I wanted to find a place to practice. And that's how the hotline came about. And that's mm. how um, mm. the, the peacemaking came about. And that's how the mediation came about. Because I want to be able to give people the gift that I didn't necessarily have, but always wanted. Mm. Mm. That's amazing, Shane. I love and that. And empowering. It is. And it's hopeful, too, because so often we don't necessarily come from a system that is healthy and teaching us that. Mm -hmm. And we learn sometimes what not to do or that we want to do things differently. And that you 
were able to uh, grow and and find ways to learn what habitually had been avoided before, which is cool. Like, so somewhere in your life, I imagine that you've had um, supportive people who kind of practiced that with you. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, there's so, there's still so, so much to learn. And I feel like that's one of the things that excites me the most is that because people are so complex and so different and there's so many different cultures, can you really ever master negotiating? My answer is no, because the hardest next negotiation is always the next one. And I feel like that's the thing that um, is most exhilarating and most exciting is that um, sure you can be good, um, but can you ever be um, uh, perfect at it? No, you can't. Mm -hmm. And the more that you allow yourself to be in the process to engage it, you're building those muscles and that ability to, I think a huge part of what you've been describing is that you're a safe person, that you're welcoming someone being able to share what they're conflicted about or struggling with. And you're uh, nervous system is sending off signals of safety and welcome and receptivity and openness. So that other person is able to then risk being a little bit vulnerable to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to share my thoughts on this or my feelings about this. And it's the created space between that allows us to lean into that. I love it. I love it. And this is why, and it, it's so fascinating. I know we're over time, but this is why like you can, you can do this by taking specific actions, just like mm. practically the next time you are having conversation with someone, if you just open your palms to them, you may have a more uh, deeper connection with them. You may have they may share something that they haven't shared before just by like opening your palms and facing, having your feet face them hmm. just because you have nothing to hide and you're open to like whatever they have to say. So open palms is something that I feel like is exactly what you're describing nervous system wise. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that. Cool. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure, Shane. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have to have you back on the show so we can just like, you know, really dive into this. Oh, and maybe Rachel too. And we can all talk about this new project you guys are working on. That sounds um, great. Yeah. I'm no, I know she'd awesome. like to come on. Yeah. yeah so, I would love uh, it. Shane, if people are looking to reach out to you and get a hold of you about your projects, how would they do that? ShaneRayMartin.com, S-H-A-N-E-R-A-Y-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. Perfect. Making it easy. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, we normally start, uh, so when we end our episodes, we do some gratitude, some affirmations. I'm going to give you a second to think about it because I don't want to uh, leave without uh, shouting out some of the ways that you can connect with us as well. Um, we do have a link tree. If you go to link tree uh slash community roots that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash community roots you can find all our links from you know how to email us directly um how to go to itunes and rate us uh if you've been a listener for a long time or even how to share those links uh so make sure to uh check us out there um you can also reach out to us uh on facebook or instagram you can email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com we love uh just building that community um, just exactly kind of like what we're doing here today. So um, please reach out. We'd love to have you at the table. 
Um, special thanks to uh, Julie Richards, of course, uh, for hosting the podcast, um, Steve Dodge for the theme song, and Alexander Wells for the logo. Um, Shane, what have you got for us? What's your uh, affirmation or gratitude? Or if you don't want to start, we can. And special thanks to Samuel Richards as well. Oh, yeah, yes, thank you. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So you said gratitude and what was the other one? Or an, an affirmation, something about yourself that you want to affirm. I would say I'm grateful for each of you for hosting the podcast and sharing your um, knowledge, wisdom, and your experiences with everyone who listens. And an affirmation, I'm an overachiever, um, sometimes in a toxic way. So I'll add on an affirmation. Uh, I'm a peacemaker. Hmm. Mm. That's good. Yes, you are. I dig that. Mm. You got one for us, mom. I feel so grateful to meet you, Shane. I just love um, your heart and just the desire to help people be heard and to create that space. And what a, a beautiful um, connection that I hadn't really considered before about food and welcoming and, and putting those things together. So I hope that we definitely can connect and have you back on um, with Rachel and, um, and hear more. Um, I just, I'm kind of delighted thinking about all of those layers with what I had been learning about the belly brain and all of that and relational space. I just think this is kind of inspiring and exciting. So, um, I imagine yeah. that you do amazing things in helping people with, with conflict management and kind of bridge, building a bridge with other people. And I think it's cool to to just be in your presence and sit with you. It's been wonderful. Thank yeah, you. I am uh, grateful that the two of you got to meet. I figured whenever I was talking with Shane about some of these, I was like, okay, this is a conversation we need to have. <laughs> uh, but great. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week, y'all. Um, I know we will have a deep breath next week, and we'll see you in about two weeks. Thanks so much.